Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. I am here uh, once again with the Pete to my Connor. <laughs> um, Pete is here. I'm here. This is a traditional episode of Podside Picnic, and we are giving... This is going to be outside the paywall um, for our wider audience, and I just want to say we're doing something that we do behind the paywall. You may have seen uh, previews of it. We're doing what we call a beer run, which is more of a free-flowing session for the two of us rather than structure around a single piece of work. Um, again, we've done this several times behind the paywall. We usually do it once a month. Uh, I will say that if it bothers you that this is not a book episode or a movie episode, so on and so forth, we just did a book episode behind the paywall on Patreon last week about The Warren by Brian Evanson. We did a paywall episode about Horizon Zero Dawn the week before that. Point being, um, I'm just here to, as always, politely remind you that, to get behind get behind the Patreon if you like the show a lot. Um, obviously, you can help us do more and better content if you do that, and you'll get access to a lot of things that we are not going to depth here. Well, um, yep. one, Connor, really quickly, one thing I want to say into our, our defense is that we did have a, a planned guest, but not only did Steve Bannon cancel on us, but Idi Amin did as well. So, like, we're kind of stuck <laughs> with each other. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as I said on the show before, sometimes your plans fall through and you just have to improvise. So, on that note, there we go. Um, it's actually seltzer, but, you know, there we go. I'll bet Pete, Pete what are you drinking? Uh, well, I've got a Coke Zero with a nice little rum nearby. Can you, all right, Stone Cold Honesty, how many Coke Zeros do you drink per day? Oh, at least six. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> I would have set, set the over-under at four, so you blew right past that. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not defending that. I'm just reporting the news. Um well, um, let's get started, Connor. I think one of the things that it's hard not to talk about is that uh, life is really different right now than it was three weeks ago, where, where our, uh, our schedules have changed quite a bit. So, like, what are you doing that's different than what you were doing two weeks ago? I think that things have start, started to get a little bit back uh, closer to an approximation of normal. Now, I say that even though I am now and have been for a while um, in Wyoming at home where I went over spring break and <laughs> lo and behold, have not left. Um, back, to, back to normal, I just mean like I spent a lot of time in my hometown since college. Like This is nothing, this is nothing super new for me. Um, and... Back to normal in the sense that after a few weeks of chaos sort of derailed a lot of my writing and various things, I'm now closer to back to normal on all of that. Um, I've, I, yeah, so I've been getting some, some work done on my novel. I have launched a newsletter, which we'll talk about a little bit later um, at more length. But honestly, like it, 
as strange as things are and as limited as my options are day to day, I actually don't currently feel that disoriented or that uh, out of sorts because a lot of the things that I most care about are still very much available to me. So that makes sense. How about you, Pete? Uh, well, I was uh, uh, I was in quarantine until a couple of days ago, so uh, I might have, as the kids say, had the Rona. But I was without... going to say, I don't think our audience knows yet that you had the Rona. Most likely, we don't yes. know. Yeah, like I, I didn't. I, I wasn't enough of a celebrity to rate a blood test, but uh, the doctor was like, "Well, we're looking for the following three, five things, and you have three of them, so it seems pretty obvious you have it." So I was stuck in my house for five days, like you guys. But unlike you guys, uh, my wife. Wife and I strictly communicated through texting and yelling down a hallway for that entire time. So I'm now at the point where I can lead a normal life in my house. I'm not tying notes to my dog and sending them over to Apple. So it's <laughs> it's a much better thing. Um, in terms of like how things have settled out, rather than training people to teach in classrooms, I'm training people to teach in WebEx. Um, I'm playing Eve online again, which un under normal circumstances would be insane behavior, but it's a, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it is a, it is a crushingly complicated game that will soak up a lot of hours. And so that it's good leisure time right now. Um, and I'm, I'm reading and, uh, Dungeons and Dragons released a bunch of board games that you could play solo. And I've been slowly working my way through those. I'm sorry, you'd have to repeat that. You're telling me that not only are you back to playing EVE Online, you are playing a solo Dungeons & Dragons board game. That's correct. <laughs> okay, those of you who are listening to this, um, if you had any fears that you were somehow too dorky for this slick, often literally inflected <laughs> podcast, I hope Pete just put that to rest with what he just said. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I honestly, once you get to the point where uh, uh, your hair starts gray again, all of those concerns about am I sufficiently cool to fit into a given situation just kind of melt away. Like, I am emphatically not cool and I'm having a great time and welcome to the show. Hey, I mean, to your credit and to be clear, I, I think that like as someone who spends far too much time on Twitter, one of the biggest problems on Twitter is people who in, many, in most cases were not cool as young as adolescents or college age people cannot get over that they were not cool and cannot stop trying to be cool and cannot see the world through any other lens other than cool. So I find that very deeply tiresome. Um, and man, one of these days we'll have to do a full episode on what cool is because I know you took a whole class on it in college. <laughs> sure. Well, um, I mean, assuming assuming you'll let me uh, hang out at your lunch table, I'd be happy to talk about it sometime. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, to be clear, I'm making fun of Pete, um, but I, I honestly, like, I salute that about you. And I salute, I, I think it's like awesome. And frankly, I, I'm curious to play these board games. I love that they were like, all right. Dungeons and Dragons board game, obvious thing has probably existed in many forms for decades. How can we make this even more tailored to our current moment? Um, I think, you know, pre-quarantine, but they were thinking like our very atomized stay at home, you know, cultural drift that we're supposedly in the midst of. And, and it's like, what if a board game that you could play solo? Yeah. Uh, well, what if nerd, but no friends? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, come on, like all these, this board game trend that's been sweeping through the world is like very alienating to those people who don't have any friends. And also some people want to play D&D &D and don't have enough friends for a group. So now there's a solution to that. I think it's great. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, if, if if it's more manly, I do have a uh, the the Conan the Barbarian board game from Fantasy Fright, Flight Games I haven't cracked yet, so... That's, yeah, uh, a Conan the Barbarian <laughs> board game is a lot more manly. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's really, that's, I mean, that's that's interesting, though, because, like, well, I, I was actually, one thing that you also mentioned, which was um, how your job has changed, and, uh, you know, you and I have much different relationships to work because you have a traditional white-collar corporate job, and mm-hmm. I have never had a, you know, capital R real job in that sense. Um and God willing, inshallah, <laughs> I'll try to try to avoid that in the future. We'll see what happens. But I do think that's that. Like, it's so hard to make predictions with the future right now. And that's one of the things that I'm writing about in my newsletter. Like, it's it's a fool's game. Everyone's trying to do this forecasting and make these predictions, but like, it's just. I think it's simply foolish on, in in most cases. Um, but just because this is unprecedented and so on and so forth. But like. What is interesting to me, I think the one the one of the most predictable things coming out of this is that a lot more people will be working at home in perpetuity now. I think that's fair, that's a fair. I think that's a fair thing to predict. What do you think? Oh, I, I think so too. I think just in terms of disaster readiness, having a certain percentage of your workforce at home and maybe even rotating them has real value. Because imagine if before all of this happened, your workforce was already ready to go and there were there were procedures in place and and there was no slowdown for your company you would you would drink everybody else's milkshake yeah i mean disaster preparedness is is one dimension that is very relevant obviously and i think it's interesting how like that wouldn't have made nearly as much sense 10 certainly 20 years ago because like you know where the tools existed to do one's job even with the internet existing at that point like you know having good internet in your office building was so pow- was so important and now it's like well we can all have pretty damn good internet, et cetera, et cetera. Well, back um, then it's like, we'll have to buy everyone a fax machine, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I mean, disaster preparedness is one dimension. I just think also like companies are going to realize how much money they can save on office space. Like that's probably the number one thing that I think um, I can imagine pushing this trend further. And like, it'll also be interesting because the, the companies will want ways to surveil and control workers as much as possible while they're at home. And that will get... The, that will be an interesting dance that workers and companies do. But I, I think I want to tie this back into science fiction and say, like, we were just texting today about how um, we are all tempted to forecast all the time, and try to predict the future. And I think especially to people who are only casually familiar with science fiction, that's one of the main things people associate with science fiction is an attempt to predict the future. Sort of a futurism, um, you know, inherent in the genre that like what the genre exists to do is to tell us what the future might be like. And that's not necessarily untrue, but I think one thing we agree on and a lot of people have agreed on over time is that a lot of the best science fiction writers, and I think William Gibson talked about this very overtly in his recent Big New Yorker profile, a lot of the best science fiction writers do not see their role as predicting the future, partly because they understand, um, you know, how difficult and how foolish it often is to try to be prophetic, but also just because that's like, you know, predicting the future is less interesting than thinking in extrapolatory allegorical ways about the present, about what we already know, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. On some level, it is about now. I mean, I, 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 I'm painting with too broad a brush there, but I, I think that is an extremely common way for a writer to approach it. And I think it's a very good way. Right. And I think we were also talking in the um, Discord today. Another reason to get behind the paywall, if you're not, uh, is our awesome <laughs> Discord chat. We were talking about... Um, about genre, about what cyberpunk is, which is a popular topic, not just on our podcast, but all over the place. 
Um, and we talked a lot about sort of like how genres and individual works are historically rooted, how like being contingent on historical moment influences things. And, you know, to go into it a little bit, like I, I contended that cyberpunk to me is specifically about a certain way of imagining fluid, unregulated capital sort of connecting uh, everyone in you know commercial and financial terms even as sort of centralized institutions and sources of authority and communities are collapsing or are fluid, et cetera, et cetera. And, and to me, that's a lot of what cyberpunk ultimately is. And it's a way of thinking about how capitalism works at the dawn of neoliberalism, which is when cyberpunk came into being right at the start of the Reagan era. And that's, cool. yeah, go ahead. Oh, and and this hardly makes me a prophet. We talked about this as well, but like you could you can draw some very interesting parallels between the the uh, Victorian era, the the era of uh, the industrial era, if you will, because a lot of very similar changes were happening at the time, and a lot of authors uh, have explicitly said that they looked back at that era for their world building. Yeah, okay, that's another interesting thing that we brought up in the Discord today was Pete was talking about this book um, about the Victorian underworld that many, uh, cyberpunk in particular, but a lot of genre writers have talked about as one of their influences for world building. And that's something that I think we should we should look at at some point, um, you know, take a deep dive into how world building actually works. So I think we're going to try to do that book, similar text at some point, um, just to give you a preview of what's coming. But yeah, I mean, to round back to that point about historical rooting things in historical moments, that tends to be how I read. I tend to look at the works we read um, and how they match up with sort of my broad ideas. And probably, to be clear, my broad ideas about how history works, I'm not a historian about any specific period, let alone, you know, the whole flow of history. So, like, my ideas are ultimately narratives that have been brought to me by, in many cases, by literary texts, by films, et cetera, et cetera. So there's sort of this recursion that happens where I apply what I've learned about history from these texts to other texts, which is an interesting move. Anyway, I'll stop rambling and just say that like um, what, how this relates to the current moment is that I, I contend very strongly that forecasting is foolish and generally a waste of our time. Um, and I think in a, in a counterintuitive way, science fiction agrees with me because what, science, what the best science fiction is interested in is less providing a concrete, specific model for how the future will be and more in thinking about the forces that are acting in the present and what those forces mean and how they might continue to shape things, not to make a specific forecast, but simply to say, how do we take all of these very powerful but somehow abstract or difficult to understand forces in our world, and how do we turn them into a narrative that will help us more clearly see what's going on? And that can help us know where we're going, but it's not a prophecy in the strictest sense. Am I making sense here, Pete? Yeah, yeah, but I would like to hear you talk a little bit about how you can use the same techniques to look backwards. Say you're looking at a show like Babylon Berlin. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, so I think Pete is prompting me a little bit because the first installment of my newsletter is about Babylon Berlin. Um, Ding! <laughs> yeah, and I, this is where I'll plug my newsletter, actually. I'll take a moment. It's called A Lonely Impulse of Delight, which is uh, my favorite line from my favorite poem, which is An Irish Airman Foresees His Death by W.B. Yeats. Um, and you can sign up. You can find me on connorosother.substack.com or on my Twitter page, um, and I'll be putting out new installments. And please, if you like, uh, if you want to support my work, if you're interested in my writing or in this podcast, you know, please sign up for the newsletter because, um, you know, it's free. Uh, you know, I, I won't rule out like 
some kind of monetization of parts of it in the future. But like for now, it's just going to be a free newsletter. And, you know, just from a just in in the most purely writerly sense, I'd like I'd like a, a forum for more of my own nonfiction without having to pitch, especially as the media landscape gets more and more chaotic. Um, but yeah, anyway, the first piece that I did for my newsletter is about Babylon and Berlin. It's about sort of nostalgia, thinking about our, our current nostalgia for how things were just a few weeks ago. Um, and also just sort of like, what is the appeal of looking back? And part of it has to do with you understand or more importantly, believe you understand what happened. Like, you know, the arc of the story or you believe you do at least. And that is such, that's so emotionally powerful, right? Um, to be able to bound the narrative in, in that sense. And that's exactly what you can't do when you're predicting the future. I mean, that's in a sense, I'm saying the most obvious thing possible, but I think it has really interesting implications for storytelling. Like how, how that story, Babylon Berlin, which takes place in the Weimar Republic, toys with our knowledge that, you know, guess what happens next after the Weimar Republic? the rise of Nazism in uh, Germany. He and fixes <laughs> the cable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like it. Yeah. Um, it, we all know that it's, 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 it's probably the most widely known history around the world period. Um, the rise of Nazism in Germany and then world war two. And I think that like that show, it, 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 it does this really interesting emotionally where um, you, you are made to feel sort of nostalgic for a thing that you never experienced because this is almost a century ago. It makes Berlin look very dangerous, but very fun, uh, very hedonistic and sort of, uh, you know, uncontrolled and all of these things. But of course, it's an, it's inaugurating in, into nostalgia for a world that on the one hand, it depicts in all of its sort of grim, it's, it's very historically specific grimness because like, you know, the planes that they get in don't work and almost crash and like taking a bath is this disgusting and complicated thing. And like the housing is gross and every, you know, and the medicine is just narcotics that are being handed out willy nilly and like all these reasons you would not want to have wanted to be alive in 1929. Um, not to mention, you know, the first world war and the economic crisis and all of these other things. Um, but it, it, you know, it makes you nostalgic for this period that you are sort of being walked through all of the unappealing aspects of, and you're being walked through it up to the edge of this sort of horrible moment, you know, what many consider the most horrible moment in history. Um, anyway, I don't really have a, a coda to put on that other than to say, yeah, I mean, the whole backwards looking thing is very interesting right now because we're tempted to get really nostalgic about like four weeks ago, which is rare. Like it's rare that on a mass scale, a group of humans will decide that we are mourning our lives from like just a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, yeah. That is a weird place to be. And it's where we are right now. I think honestly, the only other time in my lifetime, I hate to say it where that was. Oh, going I on. know, man. Well, the only other time <laughs> in my lifetime was, was nine 11. That was where everyone yeah. was like, Oh, we were so innocent four weeks ago. And of course the fallout from that turned out to be just, yeah, we've talked about nine 11, the show before I hate talking about it. But anyway, yeah. um, that's my ramble. Pete, did you have some other point you wanted to make about that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's, I think, uh, I, I think it's very good of you to talk about this without, without turning it into a mercantile moment, but I think we kind of should anyway. Um, if I were interested in your newsletter, how would I track it down? Is it going to be linked to this episode in some way? Like, talk to me. Yeah, I'll put a link um, in the text for the episode. And also, like I said, connorosother.substack.com is the URL, I believe. Um, it's, and it's called A Lonely Impulse of Delight on substack.com. 
Um, also, you can find it on my Twitter page, which many of you probably follow. But I will put a link in the body of the episode. I'll put a link on the Patreon and you can just navigate to the piece, read the piece. And if you're interested, sign up for the mailing list. Like I said, it is free. Um, it's And so on and so forth. So, yeah, that's that's where a lot of my nonfiction will be appearing, I believe, with regularity. I'm hoping at least once a week um, for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, if you like if you like the show and you're interested in my writing, that's a good place to go find it. Thanks for the opportunity to plug there, Pete. Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, the thing is, most of my creative endeavors right now are like I'm I'm making a series of Filipino gins. So I'm like, <laughs> so I, you know, I've got a bunch of gins and then I've got like lemongrass and calamansi and some other like Filipino fruits and stuff like that. And I'm I'm uh, infusing them. And that is not something that's useful for me to market in this venue. It's like we're not going to do commercials for Pete's uh, garage uh, alcohols because that has to be illegal. I was going to say, like, if you do decide to market your creations, Pete, I will support you. And we'll talk about it in the show. I do think you probably need some kind of license for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. What do I know? I mean, you live in Nevada. There are no rules down there, right? So. Oh well, damn few. That's for sure. Oh, can we can we talk about the the strip? Um, uh, we we may attach a link to that. If not, you guys can just Google. But um, the strip is shut down, but access is available, so you can go there. And there's like ducks crossing the road, and there's like one car every two miles along the strip. I mean, it's like it's it's a ghost town. And like now is the only time you're ever going to see that. I mean, like uh, inshallah, because like uh, unless this happens again to this extent, you know, we're we're never going to see that level of isolation in a tourist trap like that. It's fascinating. I I hope somebody out there who works at Disneyland will take some photos and post them about what that's like. Well, I know that uh, you were, this is not what you're describing per se, but all I can think about when you say this is the, uh, when he visits Vegas in Blade Runner 2049. Mm. (laughs) Excellent. Absolutely. I mean, uh, like a little less radioactive on (laughs) my visit. Yeah. Oh, what else? Oh, I, I did. I think I talked about this before. I did Skype Thanksgiving with friends. So we, we did a big cook up and, and, you know, connected the computers and ate and drank among family and friends until like we were too sick to go on. And this is uh, we're thinking about doing Chinese New Year next week. Like, I know it's Easter, but like you, you can't do Thanksgiving and then the Easter within a week of each other. Trust me, it's too much. <laughs> I love that you decided arbitrarily it was Thanksgiving, but you also could not just like arbitrarily decide then it would be Easter. I like you have to get yeah. this is not uh, this is not Vietnam, Pete. This is podcasting. There are rules. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and honestly, like like Easter ham, like I've, I've got enough ham for two weeks. And the idea like I couldn't I couldn't sincerely celebrate that next week. It just wouldn't be. <laughs> So I think this is a good moment to um, do something we do when we do this behind the paywall, which is just talk to the audience a little bit about what's coming up in the near future. Um, I I have a few things I want to preview. And then if you have other stuff you want to throw in there, please do. Um, I think the the next upcoming, the major upcoming book coverage that we're doing is Roger Zelazny's Nine Princes in Amber, which is the first installment of Zelazny's, um, 
Amber Chronicles. It's old. I don't know if there's a hard copy currently in print. There is a Kindle edition that I found. And I think it's pretty widely available from used bookstores who I'm sure could really use your support right now if you do want to get a hard copy. Um, we've covered Zelazny before. We've done some short stories of his. I think that increasingly as I read more of him, he seems to be one of the major finds for me that from this podcast, like one of the more influential people. I will also say if you haven't read Zelazny before, the most direct inheritor of Zelazny that you probably are familiar with is Neil Gaiman. Um, mm-hmm. who I know very much claims Zelazny and they were buddies uh, before Zelazny passed away. Anyway, Nine Princes in Amber, that one's coming up um, at some point in the not too, that'll be like in the next few weeks. And then at some point, not too far beyond that, we're going to try to do Bruce Sterling's Islands in the Net. These are the ones that we voted on on Patreon, by the way. Another good reason to join Patreon, you get to vote on things. Um, that's going to be coming up and then, you know, beyond the Princes of Amber thing. Also, I have an episode that I'm going to do on Shirley Jackson's We Have Always Lived in the Castle, which is a great classic work of sort of American Gothic or proto weird fiction. I think classifying it is difficult, but it's a it's definitely a book that has had a lot of resonant influence over all kinds of genre writing. So and I read it recently. I'll be exploring that a little bit with a guest. Um, those are the main things I wanted to preview for now. Pete, other stuff you want to throw in there? Uh, yeah, I'm going to start doing uh, a thing that um, I think you're going to like the idea of, Connor, but we'll sort of see how it goes. I'm going to start going across my bookshelves and getting the names of the authors that I like on my bookshelves, getting their email addresses and emailing them one by one requesting for emails. Probably have about five out at a time. Because there's no reason not to approach. And um, it's, uh, we, we've had such great success with, with author interviews so far that we'd love to bring more on the show and have those discussions with them. Yeah, to be clear, I've, said, I've been saying for a while that we're going to do more author interviews. I hope you enjoyed the ones we did in the last couple months, like Stephen Bruce and Peter Watts. Um, and one, yeah, one of our overarching goals, we also had Elliot Kay recently, like we've, we've ramped it up and I think we're going to keep trying to ramp it up. I mean, there's a possibility yes. that there's a possibility. I mean, this show will always have an element of pee and, uh, pee and meat. I almost said me and Pete is what I want to say. <laughs> Man, quarantine is making us go crazy. Um, yeah, there's, will always be an element of me and Pete bantering, um, in this show. I think that will never go away, but I can also see a version of the show that is like, dominated in large part by author interviews if we can make it work and set enough of those up because I do think that that is one of the very um, one of the very best things that we can do with our platform we've always had fun with them and I, I think it's also great to help authors out and promote their work so yeah, yeah I mean it's not just talk we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing more of those and Pete's been really diligent about emailing some people it reminds me that I need to get in contact with some folks too but uh, you know most importantly thank you Pete for getting that going Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things that I need to balance out, and I'm kind of working it out in my head, is that if they're on my shelf, they're slightly less likely to need my help. You know what I mean? So, like, I do want to go to the canon and draw those authors up as much as possible. But at the same time, there are authors out there that are still trying to make their mark, that are doing really interesting things. And I'm interested in doing that as well. So I would like to reach to you, the audience, if you are an author or you know an author that you would like to have on our show, don't be shy about contacting me. I can always say no in a way that doesn't shame either one of us. <laughs> Pete's very good at saying no in a nice way. Um, I've said this before. I've said this to Pete privately, but I'll say it here. I think Pete has quite possibly the highest emotional intelligence of anyone I've ever met. 
Uh, he's at least way, way up there. So um, that's, you know, that, that balances out my icy cold sociopathy that I hide behind <laughs> a veneer of false charm. But <laughs> amazing. Um, I've tried. Oh, we this is minor, but we decided on a particular short story today. Uh, the, the Day Before the Revolution by Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, so that's about, I haven't read it yet, but you said that it's about um, Odo, it, it, who is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it takes place in the same universe as the Dispossessed, and uh, Anaris, that planet, they, that, that political structure is called uh, Odonism, I guess, and this short story is about the leader of that movement when they are old and revered by everyone, but more or less... Uh, not paid attention to. So they're, they're, they're almost like a mascot of the movement. Yeah. And it's a story. I mean, I haven't read it yet, but, but you previewed it to me as a story about being a, as you said, a revered, respected in theory, very old woman who is treated not, you know, not treated as someone with a lot of vitality or a lot to offer now, but as more of a, a talisman or symbol. And, you know, I, Ursula Gwynn probably reached the heights of her fame, um, when she was quite old, she lived she lived quite a little old age, and I feel like this probably has you know a little bit of autobiography in it. Um, I will I will share an anecdote about her, which is that uh, one of my instructors is repped by the same agency that repped her for a long time, and he said that she is a legend at that agency to this day for a lot of reasons. I mean, they loved her; she was a great client, and she was a lot of fun. And she lived in Portland for most of her writing career, but. When she came to New York, she was famous for coming up to the office at like 10, 11 in the morning uh, and mixing up a batch of cocktails. <laughs> so like the day was shot when Ursula K. Le Guin came over. But I have to say, if anyone's going to ruin my work day and leave me happy about it, it's Ursula K. Le Guin. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Man, like getting her on here for a beer run would have been like a top notch experience. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that I'm most sad about um as a writer, as a podcaster, as a as a reader, is that Le Guin died a few years before he started doing this. Um, I think 2015, 2016. It's yeah, yeah. I I really really wish we'd overlapped with her a little bit. So um, you know, people like uh, Gaiman, Gibson, Atwood, you're not allowed to croak until you've been on the show. So yes. <laughs> Which isn't to say we're encouraging anyone who's been on the show to immediately die. No, if you've been on the show, take care of yourself because we want to have you back. There. Good. <laughs> Perfect. Peter Watts, I hope you're practicing social distancing right now. Take care of yourself, buddy. Yep. Yep. Uh, vitamin C, I hear, I hear hyperdosing on that is not the worst idea. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. I'm a podcaster, not a doctor. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we've talked a little bit about what we're going to do. Um, I don't know how much I have to add. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, let's let's think of it in terms of uh, background color here, Connor. When you're not reading, when you're not prepping for work, what are you doing right now? Like, what 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 unexpected things are you up to? Unexpected. I'm not sure that a ton, of, a ton of what I'm doing is necessarily unexpected. I've been in the Discord more. That's another advertisement for, for the Patreon. Uh, only the fifth time well, I've possibly, mentioned it. Yeah, <laughs> well, exactly, depending on how you feel about it. Um, 
But unexpected. I mean, I've been taking walks, which like I like to hike usually as sort of a purposeful thing where like you plan to go hike and drive somewhere and then you hike. But like I also run, you know, for exercise, but I don't want to run every day. and I don't want to go hike every day, but I need to get out of the damn house. So I've taken some long, solitary walks around my hometown, which is a place that I know extremely well. Um, having ridden my bike around it as a kid and then having driven around it a lot as a teen. And like, I know Laramie just exceptionally well already, but it is interesting that the things that you discover on sort of a granular micro level when you actually walk the terrain, um, Mm -hmm. especially by yourself without a phone, which is what I've been doing. That is interesting to me. I've seen some cool things. Um, I saw some crows fighting with a hawk in midair the other day. That was cool. Um, and I had a very cinematic moment where I was walking by the, uh, the old, it's so complicated. It's this old movie theater in town called the Wyo Theater. Not to be confused with the other Wyo Theater was this big dilapidated building that got turned into a food co-op, but a different one. And it, uh, it was painted bright turquoise because the last guy who owned it is, um, how to say this? He's very litigious. Let's just say he is a passionate individual, but one of, of the, whom we are very fond. Of whom we are very fond. But he, uh, <laughs> one of the best things that this guy did was he donated this um, this building to a nonprofit that is going to, over a period of time, restore it. And my friend who runs a theater company here in Larry is going to put on shows there, and it's going to be great. That's all exciting, like you know, for the indeterminate future when quarantine is over, stuff that I'm very happy about. But the cinematic moment was I walked by this bright turquoise sort of shuttered, shuttered uh, movie theater, and there was a guy on a ladder messing with the marquee, and what he was putting up, like what he was in the middle of putting up as I walked by in like a Simpsons bit was, "We're all in this together." He was like halfway through putting that up as I was walking by, <laughs> which was just like one of those moments where you're like, "All right." The uh, the writers have got to get less sappy with, with yeah. reality. <laughs> so I uh, I've been taking uh, Leia uh, to the park once a day just to sort of like walk around to give her a chance to smell flowers that sort of thing. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen her, I, I'm amazed by that for starters because I certainly am ridiculous about oversharing pictures of her. But she's a like she's 70 pounds of wiry Ridgeback, very nice dog, but very protective of me specifically. And a couple of days ago, we were walking through the park, and three German shepherds that were about one to one and a half years old, like obviously young dogs, ran up to us. And she looked at me and abandoned me, ran a quarter mile to the car and hid under the car waiting for me. (laughs) And I am just like, oh, look at the mighty Huntress, the great protector. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So now we know what we know about my dog, man. (laughs) Disappointing, Leia. Do better. Come on. Exactly. I, if you're listening, actually, I know she is. She's behind me, but you know. Now here's a question I'm going to ask you while we're on the air. You you have a pool, right? Yes. Are you are are you going to use that pool now that it's warmer? Um, I it'll need to be a little warmer than this, but yes, we're actually talking about that today. Like once it's consistently above seventy degrees, it's going to be pool time. See, there you go, folks. If you're going to be locked down, you want to be locked down in Las Vegas, Nevada, as it becomes summer with a pool. Yes. Yes, it could be a lot worse. Uh, the, uh, the, the liquor stores and the marijuana dispensaries are all essential businesses here. I don't know what they're like in your hometown. Uh, 
Well, we don't but, have uh, legal weed in Wyoming yet because we're very, uh, you know, backwards. But liquor stores are most certainly considered an essential business. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I mean, I joke about that, but I think it's a really good call because, I mean, the last thing we need is a bunch of people going through withdrawal showing up at the hospitals right now. That would be stupid. Yeah. Also, just like forget people. I mean, no, don't forget people who are, who are seriously addicted. That's a problem. And I feel for them. But I mean, putting that aside. Like, is now really the time to experiment with mass sobriety? I'm not sure that it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, um, people need like if if you're gonna if you're gonna get rid of alcohol, you better make Netflix free at this point. I mean, like, people are bored. Yeah, um, and I probably I'm drinking a little bit more than I'd like, but like, it's it'll be fine. It's honestly, I feel I feel good. I don't feel that I'm particularly stressed. Um, relative to the norm these days. I think I have it a lot better than a lot of people. I'm not under any particular economic strain right now. I, you know, my day-to-day life is constrained, but ultimately fine. I'm doing the things that I care about. So I feel, I feel very lucky because that all, all of that in, in combination is not true. It's, it's true of fewer people now than it was a month ago, I think. So, um, yeah, I feel, Hey, I, I feel think- pretty good. A lot of people are going to have some challenges in the coming weeks, in the coming months. And, uh, I mean, you're right. I think it's one of the reasons I did do Thanksgiving a little while ago is because it's easy to freak out right now. And taking a moment to realize what is going right is healthy. Absolutely. And I think that, to circle back a little bit, like, one of the reasons we're doing this kind of meta discussion and one reason we're previewing like our our other work and upcoming parts of the podcast is we resolved you know with the help of our discord we resolved to not like do a bunch of content about um contagion or apocalypse narratives but rather to focus on sort of on utopia at least on optimism and aspiration i would say um, yeah, the, we are a hope cast. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like sort of, right? Because like Riley and I did that episode about uh, the Jeff Bezos, Gerard K. O'Neill model of optimism that we we sort of decided was very wrong. So we're still being critical. It's not just we're not we're not we're not hope punk. This is not a hope punk yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, Correct. Yes. But I, it's just like it. The point is that like it's it, optimism is kind of the wrong word. But like we I think that one reason that well. Perhaps the main reason that I did that I started doing a genre fiction podcast is because I'm really interested in possibility broadly stated and in imagination, imagining all the things that could happen rather than, as we said earlier, issuing specific solemn prophecies about what will happen um, for better or worse. Rather, it's that like this, you know, that that genre fiction opens us up onto these these sort of very wide ranging narrative universes that show us. That bring us a sense of possibility we can't get elsewhere necessarily. And I think that's, you know, it's a good argument for sitting down and reading Nine Princes in Amber, which I'm already really enjoying, or reading Islands in the Net with us, um, looking at other stuff we've done on here, like, uh, you know, all, going all the way back to um, Left Hand of Darkness and so on and so forth. But I think this is a really good moment to embrace these expansive narratives and all the possibilities they provide, rather than letting yourself sort of get tucked into a dark corner of your uh, lockdown domicile. I think that's something we all have to resist. So I hope that our podcast can keep helping with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I have to believe that it is. I mean, like it, if, if we weren't at least providing people some welcome diversion without a hefty price tag, I wouldn't be able to do it. I think what we're doing is valuable on that level. So, so good job, Connor. 
<laughs> Thank you, Pete. Um, Anytime. <laughs> it's probably probably a pretty good place for us to leave it after we've just praised ourselves immensely. Um, right. But honestly, I, thank you for putting up with us. I know that, again, if you haven't, if you're not behind the paywall already, like this is the first beer run episode you've heard. Um, we do other things behind the paywall that are not this. We do very specific targeted content. We had the last couple of weeks as well. But, um, you know. This is this is sort of who we are, letting our hair down a little bit, uh, yep. drinking some seltzers and some Coke Zeros. Uh, I hope you enjoy. I, actually, it. I have a final question for you. What TV show are you watching? What's the new one? Oh, right now is Tiger King. We're almost, I'm almost on Tiger King. So uh, right on. I'm doing uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, nice. Well, that's one that we can talk about at some point. Um, yeah, yeah. It was recommended by Peter Watts, and I mean, when Peter Watts recommends a show. You listen. I couldn't tell if he was recommending. I think he was recommending the movie, but either way, I mean, both are probably worth looking at. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I would love to check that out at some point. Good, good call. All right, um, that's probably a place to leave it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. <laughs>